Welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast, where you can learn from entrepreneurs and investors who are driving progress in healthcare and life science across the globe. I'm your host, Joe Schunkweiler, a physician and former health tech executive, now supporting startups and investors at Amazon Web Services. Today, I'm speaking with Aditya Bansod. Aditya is CTO and co-founder of Luma Health, an engagement platform to improve access and communication at every step of the healthcare journey. He shares his perspective on how consumerism is rising in healthcare, how Luma scaled to meet the challenges of vaccinations for COVID-19, and why health tech founders should focus on driving top-line revenue growth for their customers. Enjoy. Aditya, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to uh, chat this morning. Fantastic. Can you, can you tell us a bit about yourself and how you, how you got to where you are today? Yeah, definitely. So um, like you said, my name is Aditya. I'm one of the founders and CEO at Luma Health. And my story is, is kind of really the boring Silicon Valley product manager type of person. Um, I did the first half of my career at uh, Microsoft and Adobe, kind of you know, about as big as you can get in the tech world, and then decided to start working in venture startups. And kind of the joke I make a lot is I kind of work, you know, Microsoft cut, cut in one-tenth size, you get Adobe cut in one-tenth size, you get a startup, the next startup. And then at some point, you're just going to have to do your own thing. And so I kept working at successively smaller and smaller companies until I had the opportunity to co-found Luma Health. So kind of my background really is, um, you know, consumer and connected experience kind of product management types, types of things. And I work here at Luma to really help define and drive uh, what is the product and how are we building it? And then um, working to kind of ensure it gets successfully used by our customers. And what was the... What were the market dynamics that you and the rest of the founding team saw that led you to, to Luma Health? Yeah, my founding team, there's three of us, myself, um, Adnan, and then Dr. Ekram. And what kind of, for each of us, we kind of, you know, and, you, and I'm sure you hear this, Joe, from a lot of other folks, each of us kind of had our own story that we brought to um, our founding, kind of founding of the company. So for me, I was kind of like, I, I'd made a career choice where I wanted to work on products that I can explain to my mother. And so the last role I had before this was um, as a head of, as a VP of product for a company called Remind, which okay. was K-12 communication. And, um, you know, I really had this hypothesis that like, you know, really simple technology that helps uh, two parties connect better is can help all boats rise. Because I think for, for, and for a lot of us, you know, I strongly believe that healthcare is not a zero sum equation. Like if you help patients, you know, the business of healthcare gets better, the physicians get happier, you know, all boats can rise. And so kind of that was, I had this career hypothesis that I wanted to continue to work on things that I could explain to my mother and, you know, where all parties can win. For Adnan, you know, he's a career biologist. And um, part of like actually the original problem we saw was kind of what him and Dr. Ekram had faced. He was a radiologist which was when he was playing um, undergrad uh, soccer at Cal, he, uh, you know, tore his ACL and needed to get, you know, the surgery quickly in order to continue to be on the field. And, you know, an undergrad has all the time in the world to kind of call, call the imaging department in right. order to get that, that MR done. Um, so he called like every day, even though his first appointment was booked out two and a half weeks, he's able to be seen in two days. And so and the same story kind of came true from uh, Dr. Ekram's side, which was, you know, as a radiologist, he'd go home on a Monday, this Friday, Thursday, Wednesday was packed. But by the time he came to work on a Wednesday, you know, the Wednesday afternoon schedule looked like Swiss cheese. And so kind of we really started to 
think about what are the problems that we wanted to solve. And the first real problem we aimed at was, hey, if we can use communication to help physicians keep a more packed schedule and patients be seen sooner, like that was the sort of problems that we all came to from our own kind of backgrounds and paths. And then we decided to form a company around, you know, helping patients get access to care. You've, you've tackled two uh, tough markets and industries, right? Uh, K-12 education and healthcare. Um, and, <laughs> and I'd imagine there's some overlap on the communication engagement side, namely is, I guess it's, it's more of a question, is reimagining communication in that, in that world or patient engagement in the healthcare world, is that more of a technical challenge or an operational challenge? Because my guess is the tech is not new. I mean, you guys are doing amazing things that I'm, I look forward to digging into, but it's not, you know, this is not brand new technology that people have never seen before, but we're leveraging it in ways that is novel and impactful uh, in, in a really complicated space. And honestly, I think that is where the, that, I mean, that, that insight is absolutely true, right? Like at the core of what Luma does is we use the web and we use text messaging. Like that's not rocket science at all. Um, but what becomes really interesting, and we found this to be true in K-12, but it's much more true in, um, in healthcare is what the plumbing is to the sources of truth in you know, healthcare's case, the EHR and the practice management tools is basically where most of the value in the, in the technology comes from. Like building a simple texting tool, you know, like I, I like to joke, go to your local undergrad, you know, pay a couple uh, kids with a couple six packs of beer and boom, you've got a texting platform. Um, that's not hard to do. The, the tough part and kind of where I think the value creation is like combining that with really deep understandings of workflows, you know, in K-12 for sure, like, you know, parents, teachers and students, but all in healthcare between, you know, the end number of entities in healthcare is significantly more complicated. Um, and tie that into a real deep integration with the EHR that lets you unlock those workflows. And I think that's sort of where the challenge uh, lied. So the similarities most definitely exist. And I think in healthcare, you know, the IT infrastructure of healthcare is so much more sophisticated. And I say sophisticated, maybe a little bit um, as a reach more complicated than, you know, most ecosystems, not just from a regulatory perspective, but like a D all of the above perspective, right. where that's where some of the, the, the juice and the squeeze, the juice comes from the squeeze. And leveraging that technology in that in novel ways to, to, to actually get to those patients and, and improve efficiency and, and, you know, get more out of that scheduling process, basically. Um, what are the, what are the guiding principles you have, you and the team have uh, in terms of developing that kind of patient experience? Yeah, we, we have this expression we use in the company, um, you know, sort of the unofficial tagline, which is uh, needing to get care is hard. Being able to get care shouldn't be. And it goes, you know, a lot of times you hear in healthcare and especially for, you know, any of the listeners who are in the healthcare space, you know, a lot of like, why isn't this as easy as booking an appointment, like booking an airline flight? And I look at that as like, yes, true. But you have to remember in the United States, there's what, five national airlines. Right. And then in, within, you know, where I, where I am right now in Dallas, Texas, you could throw a stone and probably hit five different medical clinics, right? Um, that are completely different entities with different like stories and, you know, teams and all that sort of stuff. And so that same kind of core principle that is making it easy to get access to healthcare because being sick is hard. Being able to get access to care to get better shouldn't be hard. That's sort of this through line in all the things we do. So whether that's, you know, using, you know, 
simple two-factor authentication to get access to a scheduling opportunity for you know maybe a GI console or things as um, complicated as you know understanding where uh, you're allowed to rebook an appointment via text messaging, but doing it all in the text messaging with an NLP-powered engine, um, so the patient never even has to click, really helps us kind of get to that lingua franca, if you will, allowing all people to get access to healthcare, much in the way that like you know airlines and whatever it is, like they want to provide a, some things that are so simple that like any American can kind of get on an airplane and go to where they need to go. And I think it's particularly interesting because you referenced the the electronic health record or EHR um, as, a, as a key integration point for what you do, but you have to balance this end user experience for the folks that are using the Luma Health platform to book or to respond to a, a booking message, I would imagine, um, but mm-hmm. also capture meaningful data that can then end up in the, the source of truth. So how do you how do you strike that balance? Because I feel like that's a critical component um, with with making a product that's useful for for all parties in the space. Yeah, I mean, so when we think about EHRs, you know, they are the system of record in healthcare, right? They are where the clinical data, the legal data set of what has happened with a patient lives. What we look at Luma as is the system of action. How do you take that data that existed as the system of record and convert it and use it in a system of action? AKA Luma Health. And to do that, you actually have to do exactly what you suggest, which is power patient-facing engagements, workflows, experiences, but also let the EHR be updated about what the results of those were. Because ultimately the physician or, a, or an NP or you know, a, a person in registration, they're not gonna look at you know, a Luma Health tool unless they really need to. They want to sit in a single pane of glass that the existing workflows are built around see everything in the, they can get in a 360 snapshot of that patient. So the system of action, Luma Health, one of the things that we do really well is actually work very diligently to update the system of record, the EHR, the electronic health record, with you know, results of an appointment being scheduled, pushing directly into the EHR, say the entire point, the chat history a patient had with an agent. So that a physician or a nurse or whoever can say like, hey, I noticed you were chatting with you know, someone at you know, such and such health system, is this something you want to talk to your doctor about later today? You know, so you know, being able to actually airlift a lot of the key elements and the interactions that a patient has with Luma into the system of record is really important to be able to actually drive adoption of any kind of tool in healthcare across you know an entire enterprise. And do you have uh, a specific EHR strategy, or do you sort of work with all comers, so to speak? <laughs> yeah, I mean. I would love to say all comers, but and honestly, when we started the company, that's sort of where we were. Um, you know, doesn't matter if you were a small EHR vendor that was primarily used in upstate New York, we would work to integrate with you. And you know, all told, that was fine. You know, for the first couple of years of the company, and because we needed business, we needed referenceable customers, we needed the case study to prove that our hypotheses would work. That said, kind of a more mature organization now, we really focus on the top. 10, eight to 10 EHRs in the country. And that's basically served us very, very well because one of the things for Luma is the ability to get deeper rather than wider. And, you know, Joe, I was mentioning that whole story around, you know, being able to say like pushing chat messages or the text history into the EHR. It's pretty hard from like an engineering perspective to do that with 80 different distinct EHRs. It may not even exist. So we've really focused on the top 10 and gotten really, really deep with them. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and, and it definitely a um, 
trying to add value within the workflow that exists for your um, your clinical user or the folks in the systems. That makes yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, are there yeah. are there particular downstream metrics from this engagement that you track internally? Like, what do you when you're when you're out talking to to your target customers? Like, what are you like? What are you championing as your as your big numbers to put on the board? Yeah, kind of what are those vanity metrics, but also right. the business metrics behind them. Right, exactly. Um, so, you know, one of the cool things that we like to say is, you know, you deploy Luma Health and, you know, you will have a more cool schedule. So the kind of number one story that we tell, the number one story that we work with our customers and partners on is how utilized is your position team? You know, how full are those schedules um, in a way that's both happy and healthy for the position and also happy and healthy for the business? Um, and so when we talk about, you know, those downstream metrics, we're really looking at, you know, what is your capacity utilization? What is your no-show rate? What is your next three-day availability to book? Um, and so those are kind of like the core ones I think a lot of folks in healthcare and healthcare operations understand. But kind of the other side is, is the story we tell around how does the patient's experience in your health system work out? And to do that, we use a lot of really, really simple tools like, you know, we have a feedback and reputation management module where we can ask the patient, like, how is your experience engaging with, you know, the healthcare system, you know, as a net promoter question, please let us know how you'd recommend this to a family or member or friend, the standard net promoter question. We also do other kind of really interesting things like how long, um, how, how responsive, what is your patient engagement rate? Like how responsive are patients to text messages, emails, phone calls, and then how does that tune itself appropriately to your specific patient demographics? One of the really cool things that we've seen is building culturally sensitive and culturally appropriate dialogue mechanisms with patients. So like, let's say we're deploying to uh, Florida, you know, it's a high, you know, in certain parts of Florida, you have a high Spanish speaking population, like adding in Spanish to your messaging set, whether it's phone, voice or email increases the engagement from your po patient population. And so it's not just, you know, in the United States, you're gonna say generally speaking you have English and Spanish, but you know, in healthcare, the goal is really to service every patient, right? No matter what cultural background they come from. And so, you know, we've had deployments that we've done where Khmer was the most, uh, was the second most common language deployed. Um, and so we did kind of customizations in our product to let the patients engage with our products in, in that native language of theirs. And that really helped kind of drive those patient satisfaction numbers. And I think that's really those, you know, there's the business metrics, which are like your no-show rate, your engagement rate, your three, next three-day availability, your physician utilization metrics. But I think the other side is like, how do you provide that experience that patients feel like they've got a great way to access that health system's uh, capabilities? And I think those are some of those other metrics that I just mentioned. How, how soon after you started the company, did you, did you get to those metrics relatively quickly? I mean, was this something, I guess what I'm getting at is, uh, are these the kind of indicators that you got from your first few customers? Or did you go in with this thesis that we're going to be looking at utilization of resources and NPS and, and all those kind of indicators? Kind of D all of the above. So yeah, right. um, the, you know, it's also, it's been a while, so it's a little blurry, but the original product we had was a waitlist product and a reminder product. That mm -hmm. simple. And the way it really worked was Joe cancels his appointment at, you know, Hayes Valley Health. Aditya is waiting for an appointment of the same type with the same doctor. Joe cancels. Aditya gets a text that says, hey, the slot's opened up. Would you like it? I reply, yes. I get booked into that appointment. 
kind of really simple problem, right. basically increasing liquidity, right, in a schedule. Um, and we knew that that set of products, the goal of that was actually increasing capacity and utilization. That said, everything that kind of tucks under that, which is like your no-show rate, your next three-day availability, like your, your referral fill rate, your waitlist fill rate, kind of all those came down as we started kind of building the next set of products, you know, post our initial, you know, set of offerings with our customers. So we, as a company, were part of the Stanford Startex Accelerator. And kind of our original product hypothesis was those two. But the more time we spent in market, we kind of realized, well, we're not asking the patient any questions after their visit. So that's kind of where the feedback and reputation management product came from. Right. We're not asking kind of specialty patients, hey, can we help you get scheduled? We're waiting for you to you know, complete this referral. That's where a referral messaging product came. And then we're like, well, why don't we actually schedule it for them? That's where our kind of online scheduling capabilities came from. And so kind of as we kind of soaked in the customer's problems, those other metrics kind of became you know, apparent in how you measure each one of the other products that we were bringing to market. Digging, digging a bit deeper into the, the product side for a second, given your background uh, with diverse experience uh, across Silicon Valley and consumer and, and um, you know, education, um, did you have an analog outside of healthcare that, that you were thinking through when you, when you were building these products? analog outside of healthcare. I mean, so kind of interestingly enough, in our founding team, I'm the only one who has no healthcare experience. Mm -hmm. One's a doctor and one's a biologist. Right. And so my entirety of my experience was kind of outside of healthcare. Got it. Um, and so I think for a lot of what we had done, uh, so I started my career at uh, what was then called MSN Hotmail. Not quite <laughs> called that anymore. <laughs> Just kind of maybe aging myself a little bit there. Um, and, you know, a lot of what kind of original stuff that I'd done early in my career and working in kind of the first set of really like web 1.0 online products was about like de meeting demand and, and, you know, taking demand from customers, which was much higher than say the internet was able to scale to then and actually being able to like titrate off that sort of um, really like what pe people wanted to do and how limited you were able to provide free services. Right. Um, and so a lot of what kind of we do in here in healthcare and kind of how we've applied some of those similar strategies is how do we actually turn that around and say like, hey, make create more access. And so it's kind of the nice thing. I think actually this is really one of the beautiful parts of our partnership with AWS has been like being able to be scalable to those kind of capabilities as we've needed them. So it's kind of been like, you know, there are analogs that I can kind of think of from outside of healthcare, but I think the meta, the, the market and kind of how you do like internet enabled products has changed so much that even like outside of healthcare, you know, the entire world kind of looks almost very similar now, if that even makes sense. Right. No, that, that makes total sense. And, and, and as a, a long time healthcare insider, um, I, sometimes I don't, I don't know whether I have a high bar or a low bar now, you know, for, for, for some of these products, cause it's just sort of what my universe is. So I'm always curious when somebody has, uh, as diverse a background as you do, um, whether, whether you felt like you were bringing the, um, this, this new wave of technology to sort of an antiquated space, but it sounds like it was a natural progression from the, the technological work that you were doing previously now into this setting and the, the back to our discussion about what you all were seeing in the marketplace, the timing was right. The timing was right to bring those technologies um, to the healthcare space. You know, I, I think so. And, you know, I look kind of, you know, comparing to some of the stuff we did in K-12 when I was at Remind, you know, a lot of it was around driving consumer adoption 
versus in healthcare, you know, it's less of a technology comment, more of like a, how does that like consumer behavior interact here? Because in like K-12 and sort of like that, you know, it's about like getting adoption from teachers, it's about getting adoption from parents, getting adoption from districts, that sort of stuff. In healthcare, you have to, the patients are almost in some ways a captive audience, you know, right. that's not a true statement really, but, you know, once you've made an appointment with like, you know, you know, Hayes Valley Health, which is kind of the fictitious name we use a lot, like you have license to communicate with them about, you know, their upcoming appointment, follow-up care, you know, lab orders, discharge notes, all that sort of stuff, right? Like that's kind of in the purview of fictitious Hayes Valley Health's kind of relationship with you, the patient, versus like in other kind of ecosystems, you kind of have to actually build that over time right. and continue to earn that trust over time. And not saying healthcare doesn't need to continue to earn the trust of the patients, that's obviously true, but you the license and kind of the initial boot up conversation when you're a new patient, it, and it really in the sense a new consumer of that health system's care, it's the, the, the positioning I think in the mental model for the patient is pretty different than it is kind of outside of healthcare. So, you know, many of the techniques are the same, but kind of the application and the license to do it is pretty different. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes total sense. And I love the way you use, and I've heard others on your team talk about consumerism in the process, because um, again, like my, my previous bias from living inside these clinical delivery systems is that that would be uh, anachronistic to talk about consumerism because of all the dynamics you just laid out, you know, that um, in, in the best sense, it's a captive population. These people are coming looking for health at, at a particular system. Yeah. And so, you know, they're there for that help. You give it to them as best you can. And, and hopefully in a way that's not an awful experience, but that, <laughs> that consumer, which is hopeful, right? Um, the, the, that consumer mindset, when I was doing this years ago, wasn't really part of it. And um, it feels like that dialogue has started to shift. And I'm really impressed with, with how you and the Luma team are thinking about doing this in a way that is clinically relevant for the teams taking care of the patient and not just a pretty veneer for uh, yeah. a portal or scheduling, you know, bot or something like yeah. that. You know, and honestly, I think one of the things that's really changed and, you know, you could call this COVID, you could not. I think that the, the effects were already happening is, you know, I think a lot of people in healthcare talk about consolidation and it's true, but you still have a fair number of, you know, physician employed, uh, physician owned and employed practices somewhere, you know, depending on what numbers you look at between 40 and 50%. Um, but what ends up happening is like, you know, like I was mentioning earlier, I'm in Dallas currently, you know, you have to compete on experience and that becomes, you know, one of the fun things that I found really interesting. So we read a lot of net promoter scores and we, we help our clinics and our customers and health system understand their net promoter scores. And by and large, you know, I would say, I mean, this number kind of out of thin air, 90% of patients, 95% of patients will generally rate the physician they've gotten. The, the care they've received with the mm -hmm. actual physician is good, good or better. The shell around that experience, which is actually what patient experience is, is always where the, the, the dissatisfaction drivers are from. Right. And so for, you know, in, it's all the classic stuff like, oh, the parking lot was hard to navigate. I couldn't find my way inside the hospital. I, you know, I waited so long in the lobby. It took me four months to get this appointment. I called, forgot a call back. I was on hold, you know, all the stamps up. And so I think this, this shift around competing on experience and being able to differentiate your offer in, you know, say the top 200, top 500 metros in America is really this shift around um, is an underlying piece of consumerism showing itself as how health systems um, 
compete on that experience value. And, you know, a really practical way to kind of see this is looking, you know, for anyone listening, look at your local university or your local health system and look on their website. They're actually decent. Like health system websites in the last five yeah. years have become decent. That's a great because point. they know that that's like where they're looking, right? Right. And so I think this thought around competing on experience is is really where we want to help health systems continue to innovate as they look to experience rather the only thing they used to be on, which is the quality of the product itself. Aditya, I would be remiss to not bring up uh, some of the work that you and the Luma team has done around COVID nineteen. Um, could you? Give a give a snapshot of that. Now, full disclosure, you and I have, have talked about this. You you published an excellent blog post on the AWS Startups blog detailing some of this, but I would love to to, to have you talk through uh, the kind of work you were doing around the pandemic. Yeah, I'd be happy to share. And, and you know, part of it is almost a little bit of PTSD for me. Um, so I think uh, this is this might be somewhat somewhat therapeutic, Joe. Um, Always happy for- to oblige. <laughs> I, uh, for, you know, like every organization, every company, you know, the onset of COVID was very, very difficult. Um, and we really at Luma started to see very, very early signs of a broader shift in say January, February, March of 2020. One of the things our data teams do at Luma is kind of analyze the sentiment that we receive from patient messaging in kind of a, an anonymized uh, and, and uh, aggregated way. So we started to see a lot more inbound messaging from patients around virus, cance- cancellation rates started to skyrocket for health clinics. Clinics started to close their like, clinics um, and cancel on patients. And so we started to see these early signals leading into like March 2020. And so we released kind of a set of products in uh, March, April, May of last year, kind of at the onset of the pandemic around mass communication, around virtual waiting rooms, around telehealth, kind of really trying to help either clinics communicate with their patients at large, or operate their clinics in a pandemic constrained environment. And it was great. I mean, we really were, I think, very helpful for our customers around being able to, you know, help them communicate, stay, you know, provide services virtually when they could, you know, and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, what Joe, you're referencing in kind of what we had the opportunity to talk about in the AWS startup blog was really kind of the work we did starting December of last year, which is around our vaccine operations. And so, you know, I'm sure like most of us um, who listen, you know, we saw the news and the vaccines were starting to get approved around November. And then they were finally approved, I think in November, December. So we had this influx of customers come to us and say like, hey, we've got, you know, our employees need to get vaccinated. And we have, you know, take take one of our um, partner health systems, Montefiore in -hmm. the Bronx. It's like, we've got 20,000 healthcare workers. Like we've never scheduled 20,000 appointments at one shot. Right. And we have a service mission to like help FDNY, NYPD, uh, people at the Albert Einstein Medical College, you know, to get uh, vaccinated because they're all eligible. And we saw this drumbeat happen between, you know, December 2020 and call it April 21, May of 21, of just this unbelievable ramp up and scale and demand for vaccines. And it came to a point where one of our other kind of uh, customers and partners, uh, Cook County Health, uh, second largest county in America, third largest metro in America. In um, Chicago. Came to us and they, in Chicago, yes, yeah, sorry, exactly. Um, they came to us and said, hey, we need help scaling out our vaccine operations. And uh, we started talking to them. We we're like, wow, you guys are going to look to schedule probably half a million people within you know, the next you know, 25 days. And so the team worked nights and weekends, kind of really uh, unbelievable work led by our VP of engineering, Marcelo, um, to put together 
incredible high scale solutions where we were booking 50,000 appointments in like 10 minutes. You know, we launched some of the largest uh, mass vaccination scheduling opportunities in uh, the United States in, in Cook County. Uh, we helped operate the Arizona State Fairgrounds in, um, in, in the Phoenix area with Banner Health and all sorts of like really, really kind of um, high scale, high velocity, high impact um, deployments where, you know, really the big thing we were doing was scheduling messaging and consent. You know, patient gets scheduled, patient um, gets told about their appointment, patient does a consent form before they actually show up for the jab. And, you know, we were at peak processing all on AWS, of course, 500,000 requests per second, which is just a huge, huge transaction volume. And it took a lot of, you know, work and consumption, you know, of, you know, various AWS technologies in order to help us get there. And so it was just a really incredible opportunity, I think. And I, I look at it as maybe the, the proudest thing I've done in my career is, you know, we've scheduled about 3 million um, vaccine appointments through Luma, which, you know, that's 1% of, you know, the eligible, over 1% of the eligible U.S. population got their vaccines in a Luma, in a Luma facilitated manner. So I'm pretty proud of that. I think it's something that the team's really proud of. And, you know, it's a rare opportunity that you get to do something with such impact. Wow. Yeah, that is, that's incredible. I mean, I, I hats off to you and your team and, um, he, and I know knew the story and hearing you lay it out was also, uh, it's a, it's dramatic and the numbers are just amazing. Um, is what leadership lessons did you take from that? Having to, I imagine a lot of that work was technical work ramp up, um, had to happen at speed, you know, very low tolerance for, for errors. Um, what was that like for you as the, the technical leader at Luma? Uh, frightening and sleepless nights. <laughs> right. <laughs> I probably have something more pithy to say than that. No, um, it, you know, a lot of what it was is, I mean, I think almost anyone in my position would say like, you know, you need unbelievably great leaders in your team. And we were really fortunate to have very strong, very um, like unbelievable leaders in our engineering teams and our customer success teams. And so, um, you know, we are our, our head of engineering, uh, Marcelo Oliveira. He's been with the company since basically day one and has built an unbelievable engineering team that, you know, at a drop of a hat, had the ability to say like, hey, you know what, everything that we're working on, we're going to pivot left. And instead of focusing on the depth of our product, we're going to focus on the scale of our product. And people, you know, trust in the leadership to like actually go do those things. And the other part, I think that's been very, very valuable in this was connecting the work that we do every day to the broader mission, vision, and values of the company. Our goal from day zero, and we've been very fortunate, we've never had to pivot, we've never changed our North Star, is been always to get patients access to care. And here we are sitting in you know, January, February, customers banging on our door, and there's a point when we were among the top five visited websites, our, our scheduling portals in New York City. Wow. Um, you know, and you can go tell your friends that that's a story you'll be able to tell, um, you know, your career, the rest of your career. And I think a lot of the folks who've worked on that at Luma would love that opportunity and love the opportunity to be able to be part of something so impactful. And I think that's one of the things when we look back at it, it was like, yes, like there's, I don't know if there's a really, you know, pithy leadership lesson there, but I think it's like, you know, great leaders inside the organization and really tying something back to like the bigger picture. And I think that really helped us rally because there were, was, you know, nights and weekends for, you know, probably 50 straight days. But I mean, everyone came out on the other side of that saying like, they come out on the other side saying like, oh, that was awful. They're like, man, that was tough, but man, that was worth it. Right. Yeah. Meaningful work, uh, which is always yeah. important. Uh, 
and on your, on the leadership lesson note, what, you know, I'm sure there are other folks out there that are toiling away as, as product managers in, in Silicon Valley and now everywhere else in the world. Um, but what advice would you give to other folks in technical leadership looking to enter the healthcare space for the first time? Yeah. Um, connect to the top line. So much of healthcare technology is about the bottom line. Um, and it's such a hard thing to prove. And like, I think as like less so on the technical leadership side, and I'll, I'll cover that in a second, but I think kind of like as a product manager, the question you always, that I ask our teams to answer is like, what are we selling to who for much? Like those are the three key questions I want to answer for kind of everything that we're doing. And, you know, in healthcare specifically, answering that question against the top line of your, of your client or your customer, or your partner's business is so much more of a powerful story because in healthcare, I mean, you go through the revenue cycle and actually even understanding what the bottom line is and the bottom line to whom, like you'll get 15 answers if you ask, you know, 10 people, but the top line is very easy to understand. So whether you're doing something in capacity utilization of an OR, it's like, you know, it's very easy to understand like how many, you know, X surgeries did we do? Um, you're trying to do something in, you know, a clinical something, you know, it's better to understand like, Hey, I, we, we increase consumption of this. We decrease consumption of that. I think tying something to the top line and being able to answer that question, you know, what are we selling to who for how much is really critical um, in the business side of product management In the technical side. I think it's all about um, being able to have a strong play with the EHR. And that's like a very healthcare specific commentary because every call that I've ever been in, you know, a sales call, a customer call, a quarterly business review, whatever it is, it's like, cool. And then how does it work with the EHR? Right. Because that's going to be your health system's number one IT invest forever. And so unless you can tell a really crisp story around that and, you know, all the top EHRs have great partner programs now that, you know, that didn't exist six, seven years ago, um, they're absolutely worth investing in because I think you'll be able to tell a much stronger story and de-risk any sales process. Aditya Bansod, CTO and co-founder of Luma Health. Thanks for joining us today. It's been my pleasure, Joe. Really great conversation. Thanks for the opportunity. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and rating. It helps others find us. To learn more about how AWS supports startups, please go to aws.amazon.com slash startups. <laughs>